Hey, if you have your Bibles, open them to Joshua chapter 1. Uh, Joshua is the sixth book in the Old Testament. It's page 147. If you don't have a Bible, you can pick this blue one up. It's page 147. I've done the hard work for you. Uh, if you've got your Bible app on your phone, go ahead and open that up. Uh, we're in week two of our series called Eat the Scroll. And this uh, name comes from a passage in Ezekiel chapter 3 where God tells his prophet Ezekiel, uh, eat the scroll and then go speak that, speak the words to the, pro- uh, to the people of Israel. And so we talked about last week how when it comes to the word of God, the Bible speaks more almost as much or more about uh, nutrition and nourishment as it speaks about knowledge, that, that uh, reading digesting scripture is almost more about um, nourishing your body than it is about gaining knowledge. And so if you weren't here, we went through Psalm 19. We talked about six benefits of eating the scroll. If you missed that message, it's kind of foundational to the rest of the series. So if you get a chance this week, uh, get the Genesis Church app and listen to it there or go to iTunes and search Genesis Church Carmel uh, or Genesis Church Central Indiana. You'll find it and listen to it there. And last week we issued a 40-day challenge. Uh, we had a card. I don't have one up here. I had one. Uh, we had a card that we... Thanks, Rob. Rob Bogue, everybody. <laughs> so we gave you this card, and it's got 40 days of Scripture on it. We invited you to be reading along with us uh, day by day and um, following along. And I'm really encouraged by what I've heard. Uh, we've got some pictures to show you here, some people who took the 40-day challenge. Uh, I've heard of families that are doing this together, a lot of families. I've heard of family of five. Uh, that's sitting down every day and doing. I just talked to somebody in the lobby earlier who uh, they're doing it with their kids, but then when their parents come over or grandparents come over, uh, they're all doing it together, which is really encouraging. I had uh, some visitors from out of town last week, and as they left, uh, not me personally, but here at the church, and as they left, they said, hey, we're going to do the 40-day challenge with you. And I said, oh, that's really cool. Uh, I posted uh, uh, something on my Facebook page this week and just asked, hey, how are you doing it? And, and a friend of mine from Muncie said, hey, what's this 40-day challenge? I need to know about this. So I sent her the link. She downloaded the app. She's following along uh, from Muncie. And then I, I got the most encouraging email this week and, uh, from, a, from a person in our church, and, sh- and uh, she wrote, um, I'm embarrassed to say this, but at 50 years old, this is really my first time consistently reading Scripture, and I love it. And so I love hearing those stories. We love seeing how people are getting into the word and we're all in the same passages, which is really helpful and it's gonna be really helpful for today. And if you're in a group, um, that's great. Uh, hopefully your group is going through this too. So if you haven't done it, pick up the card today. We got some more, we ran out second service last week, but we got some more printed. So they're out there. Uh, or if you have the app, you can, uh, it's on the weekend section. It says 40 day challenge. Don't, don't, and don't try to catch up. Like if you missed last week, don't say, oh man, okay, I gotta get to day eight. Don't worry about that. Just start today. So it may surprise you today that I want to tell you I have one goal for you, and that goal is to stop reading your Bible. I'm serious about this. I want you to stop reading your Bible. If you and your kids are reading the Bible, I want you guys to stop reading your Bible. If your connection group is reading the Bible, I want you to stop reading your Bible. I want this entire church to stop reading our Bibles. Now, I'm sure some of you think I've gone completely off the deep end, and uh, we spent all last week talking about the advantages of being in Scripture, and now I want you to stop reading it. Well, I promise there's a point. And the point is this, so many of us, and I include myself in this because I'm just as, uh, just as apt to fall into this habit as anyone else. We think about reading our Bibles like we think about exercise or taking our medicine, right? Like there's a minimum standard we have to do. I've got I've to pop the pill or I've got to go to the gym and do this one or two things. And, and then like the sooner we get it over with, the, the, then we can get on with the rest of our lives, Right? You ever fall into that trap that uh, if we just get this out of the way, then we can go on and do what we've got to do the rest of the day. 
And so maybe you're in a reading plan right now that's taking you through the whole Bible in a year. I, I do that. I've done that every year for the last eight or nine years. Or uh, maybe it's uh, the New Testament in 90 days. Or maybe it's through uh, Proverbs in a month or whatever it is. Uh, and, and that's better than no scripture at all. But it's not the best way to engage the scriptures and to help make them relevant to your life. While you may be able to check off a box and I finished that book or I finished the Bible, I finally finished the Bible for the first time. That's never been the model of how we're supposed to take in scripture. And that's never God's plan for his word. Instead, if we want to gain everything that we can from the scriptures, uh, we need to look at how God has modeled for us to approach them. And I think one of the best examples we have of this is in Joshua chapter 1. Now, I know many of you have studied this passage recently. It was day one in our 40-day challenge. So even if you've fallen off the wagon, if you started with us on Monday, you probably got to Joshua chapter one. So hopefully you did. Uh, But here's a little background. Moses has led the nation of Israel out of slavery from Egypt. And now they've been wandering in the desert and the wilderness for 40 years. Moses has died and Joshua is put in command of the people of Israel. And God has told Joshua to lead his people, God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, into the promised land. But there's a problem, and that's that the people that are already occupying the promised land are big and strong, and there are a lot of them, and a lot of the soldiers and a lot of the people, the Israelites, are afraid. And so God is going to encourage Joshua. And in his commands, and as he encourages Joshua, he gives us some encouragement and some instruction at the same time. And so here's what I want to read, Joshua 1, uh, verse 7 and 8. It says this, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn to it from the right or to the right or to the left, so that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And so what I want you to see is that God didn't tell Joshua to read the scriptures. He said, meditate on them. I want you to meditate on the scripture. There's a big difference between simply reading the Bible and meditating on it. And my hope for you is that you'll stop reading your Bible and start meditating on it. Now, I know when most of us think meditation, we think this, right? Right? Why do we do this thing with our fingers? Like, I feel like uh, Matthew McConaughey in those Lincoln commercials, right? Like, (laughs) I don't know. I don't drive a Lincoln because they pay me to. I just like it. That's a little Forrest Gump, wasn't it? That wasn't quite... (laughs) We so often associate meditation with like Eastern spirituality, spirituality and religion. And, um, you know, we think about and, and, and those kind of cultures, meditation is about emptying your mind, right? So that you can uh, see down deeper into your soul. But, that, but that's not what biblical meditation is all about. Biblical meditation is not emptying your mind, but it's filling your mind with the truths of God. Now, the word meditate, if you read the NIV translation, which is what we hand out here, the word meditate is used 29 times in the Bible. Its central meaning is to contemplate or think about over and over again. In this way, uh, the English word meditate is very much like uh, the word ruminate. And we don't use the word ruminate very often, but if you're a farmer or if you have family that uh, had a farm, you probably have heard that word before. Ruminate is what cow does when she eats. Uh, you may know this, or probably you've heard this at some point, that a cow has four stomachs, right? And so when they eat, 
they will chew uh, on the grass or the food or whatever they're eating, and they will swallow it, and it'll go down into their first stomach, which is called the rumen, by the way, where the word comes from. And it'll get mixed with some saliva and digestive juices, and then the cow, this is really gross, I hope you breakfast is a time to digest, will spit it back up into her mouth and then chew it some more and then swallow and go down into her second stomach. And then this process repeats itself a few times, and that process is called ruminating. And the idea behind rumination is for the cow to get each and every little bit of nutrition out of the food she eats. And so they, they, go through, they, go, they go through that process time and time again. They want to extract every bit of goodness from it. So biblical meditation is like that. It's chewing on and digesting God's word so we can extract every bit of goodness that's in there. So, but we don't just meditate on Scripture so that we can get to know Scripture. We, we meditate on Scripture so that we can get to know God. In fact, uh, what I hope you'll take away from today is this. If you want to get wisdom, you can do that from reading your Bible. If you want to memorize scripture, you can do that from reading your Bible. But if you want to know and follow God, you've got to meditate on his word. In fact, I want to give you a definition of biblical meditation, and then we'll work through this Joshua passage some more to show you how it works. So here's the definition. Uh, Kevin Russell and I came up with this this week. This isn't anything that's uh, spectacular or that, you know, but you might want to write it down. I don't know. Biblical meditation is the reflective study of scripture for the purpose of knowing and following God. The reflective study of Scripture for the purpose of knowing and following God. It's not speed reading your way through the Bible. It's not reading for the purpose of learning. The purpose of biblical meditation is to develop and grow a personal relationship with God. It's to encounter your Creator, the God who loves you. It's all about uh, learning his will for your life and following it. And, and this is really cool. This is what I love about this passage. He's given us a pattern to follow. In Joshua 1, we see a pattern that God has given us, that if we follow this pattern, there's a result that's promised at the end. It's right here. Let's look at this scripture again. Okay, Joshua 1, 7 through 8. He says, be strong and very courageous. God said, I am with you. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. By the way, did you know that God never tells us to pray for courage, that we are instructed to be courageous? He says, be strong and very courageous. Then he says, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. We'll come back to that, I promise. But here's the pattern. See if you can find it. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. This is so cool. This is honestly the closest thing I've ever seen in Scripture to a pattern for growing in a relationship with God and learning and following his will. So there's three steps, and then there's a promise. And these are in your notes if you want to follow along. If you grab the note card on the way in or if you've got the app open uh, or if you don't, go ahead and open that, and you can take notes on this. So there's three steps and then a promise. Step one is this. Take it in. Take in Scripture. You've got to take it in. Uh, you have to take in God's word. Sermons are helpful. Good books on the Bible are helpful, helpful. But God is telling Joshua, you must take in my word. You've got you've to keep this word on your lips, right? And so for us, I admit, it means that at least once you've got to read it, okay? You can't learn it if you don't read it. Last week, we talked about the importance of us being personally immersed in God's word. And, uh, and we use this verse from Hebrews to show us why, Hebrews 5. 11 through 14, the author says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. 
But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Now, so just to be clear, uh, because I got a couple emails this week, there are two things going on in this passage. You know, last week we talked about one of them and milk is this idea that milk is pre-digested food. It's uh, stuff that you, uh, that somebody takes in and then regurgitates that's, that's, that uh, produces something that you can, that infants uh, can absorb. And, and as infants, we need milk. Right? It's vital to our growth. As Christians, especially new Christians, we need someone to help us with our nutrition. It's hard uh, when you become a new believer, or if you're like seeking God to just open scripture and to really understand and, and digest everything that it has to say. So we need someone. The writer in verse 12 says, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths all over again. He says, milk is good for new believers, new Christians, but as you mature, you should start to take on solid food. Now there's a second thing going on here too. The writer is also referring to solid food as the harder truths of the Bible. And you can see that better if you look at uh, Hebrews 6.1, the, d- the deeper truths. And eventually, as you grow to maturity, you need to start like, taking on those harder truths. You need to start asking those harder questions that maybe you wouldn't ask when you're a new believer. And so, but the writer reminds us that our ability to nourish ourselves, your ability to, to discover those harder truths and to take on those harder things that the Bible has to say is uh, incumbent upon your learning to be a self-feeder. Verse 14 says, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Evil. Now, the word that's translated in this passage as infant is also sometimes translated as unskilled. The writer here is saying that there's a skill to, to be developed. And over time, you can develop that skill of being acquainted with the truth about righteousness. And, and so how do you develop a skill? You practice, Right? Larry Bird, the current Pacers GM and former basketball great, was known for showing up to practice early, basketball practice early, to shoot 500 free throws before anybody else got to the gym. Why? Because he didn't know how to shoot free throws? No, he was one of the best free throw shooters in the game. That's why. Because he showed up early to practice. He knew that that was how you develop a skill, is to practice it. Comedian Jim Gaffigan has a joke about going to the gym and seeing this big uh, muscle-bound bodybuilder and saying, what are you doing here? You're done. Like, go home, but you probably notice that the people who are most often at the gym are the ones who tend to be in the best shape. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a pastor who is also a high school football coach, and he said this. This was so telling to me. He said, the thing that most Christians need is the same thing that most football players need. They need more reps. They need more repetitions. They need more chance to develop that skill. That practice of being in God's word every day, taking it in, will help you develop that skill and grow beyond being an infant. So let's keep looking at that passage, Joshua 1.8. He says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. You got to take it in. That's step one. Meditate on it day and night. So step one is take it in. Step two is meditate on scripture. Now this is where, honestly, most of us get it wrong. Like we read the Bible, but we don't meditate on it. And so if you read your scripture in the morning, but you don't really think about it the rest of the day, Uh, you'll never be able to extract all the nourishment that God's word has for you in there. And so if you're just reading to get through it, then stop. I mean, there's no benefit in reading, but it's kind of like going to the Chinese buffet and just like screaming your way through the line and getting everything that you can and like shoveling shoveling in your mouth and getting done. When you get done, you'll, you'll feel full, right? But you won't really be satisfied. You won't really have been able to experience the food like the chef 
expected you or hoped that you would incur, that you would experience the food. And so instead of trying to get through a passage of scripture, I want to encourage you and God, I think, wants you to get a focus on what you want to get out of that scripture. Does that make sense? Don't try to get through the scripture. Try to get out of it what you're supposed to get out of it. Meditate on it. And again, just as a reminder, biblical meditation is the reflective study of scripture for the purpose of knowing and following God. So when you meditate on the Bible, you want to think about what it looks like to obey God and put scriptures in practice in every area of your life. I read uh, this week about some of the underground churches in the villages of rural China where the entire church would only have one copy of the Bible. And uh, in a lot of... Uh, the tribal areas of China, obviously there are people that only speak their tribal language and there may only be a few translated copies of that Bible. And so what they will do is they will divide the Bible up. Everybody takes a page home. And when you have that page memorized, you can bring it back and exchange it for another page. Man, talk about meditating on scripture. Can you imagine just memorizing entire pages of the Bible? By the way, memorizing scripture is a really useful process. I don't know where you stand on this or how good you are at that, but it's a key. It is a key to defeating, defeating strongholds in your life. Like if you've got an area in your life where you're struggling, whether it's worry or fear or sin or addiction, there are pieces of scripture that you can meditate on and memorize to help you fight those strongholds in your life. And, and that way, even when you don't have a Bible nearby or you don't have your phone with you, uh, you can still fight off those strongholds. Uh, Psalm 119, I love this is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture, says this, I have hidden my word in your heart that I might look really smart to my church friends, right? I've hidden my word in your heart so that I can throw it in people's faces when I see them doing something wrong. No, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I, I might not sin against you. There's, there's one reason to memorize scripture. And that brings us to the third step in this process, Joshua 1.8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate it on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. So step one, you got to take in scripture. Step two is meditate on it. And step three is to obey it. You got to be careful to obey. Be careful to obey. God makes a big deal out of this when he's talking with Joshua. And him twice in these two verses, he tells him, verse seven, he says, be careful to obey. In verse 8, he says, be careful to do any, everything written in it. Obedience is a big deal to God. Be careful not to turn to the right or to the left, he writes, but stay in step with me. Why? Well, as we like to say around here, obedience is God's love language. What we mean by that is obedience is one way that we, is, is a great way that we can really show our love for God. Let me show you what I mean. In John chapter 14, Jesus says this, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, you want to show me that you love me, keep my commands. And then in Matthew 12, Jesus is teaching to a crowd, and this happens. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside. Jesus had brothers. Did you know that? Jesus had a real mom and real brothers. He was a real person. He had real sisters too. Jesus was talking to the crowd. His mothers and brother, mother and brothers stood outside waiting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, Jesus, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here, I'm, here are my bro- mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father is my brother and sister and mother. Obedience is God's love language. So we shouldn't just read scriptures. We have to meditate on them and then put them into practice. We have to obey them. Don't just read, do 
one of Jesus' brothers is a guy named James. And uh, he's got a letter in the Bible that's, that's now captured as the book of James. And it says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't just, James would say, don't just read your Bible. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks, listen to this analogy. It's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And doesn't that just sound like our devotional time sometimes? True confession time. How many of you have ever finished up your Bible reading for the day, closed the book, and thought, I don't remember a single word I just read? I've done that. That's why I love the SOAP method that we talked about last week. If you missed last week, SOAP stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. It's on the back of that uh, 40-day challenge card, too. You write down that section of Scripture that's speaking to you, make an observation about what it means, and then... When you, uh, you write the application, uh, this is what it means for my life right now, and then you pray and you write your prayer down. God, help me to put this into practice in my life. Help me to obey your commands. So the three-step process God gave to Joshua is this. Number one, take in the scripture. Number two, meditate on it. Number three, be careful to obey. And then there's a promise. At the end of this verse, I don't know if you saw that, but there's a promise tied to that. Joshua 1.8, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then listen to this. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And so there's a result that's promised by God. If we do this, the result is success. God promises prosperity. He promises success. He says, if you do this, you will be prosperous. Now, prosperous in this case has nothing to do or little to do with the wealth of this world. There's this lie that can sometimes be spread by the church that if you, if you do the right things and you obey God, that you'll get lots of free stuff and you'll be a financial success and God will bless you and your family abundantly with all the food and clothes and cars and homes and iPhones you could ever want. And that's just not true. That's not scriptural. It's not what God promises us. Instead, he says, you will be prosperous and successful in biblical terms. And biblical success is all about the things of eternity. It's about having a close loving, intimate relationship with God. It's about having good relationships with other people. It's about, it's about bearing much fruit. Biblical success happens as God transforms your character and your priorities and lines them up with the character and priorities of Jesus. If you take in scripture and meditate on it and you're careful to obey, God will sanctify you. He, he will kill off the old and bring in the new. He, he will give you influence. He will use you to make disciples who make disciples. Uh, that's what biblical success looks like. It's intimacy, integrity, identity, and influence. Those are the areas that God wants to bear fruit in your life. And I just my personal prayer, you know, some people have a, a life verse or a verse for their year or whatever. I have a prayer for, my, for this year. And my personal prayer this year has been and will continue to be, God, bear much fruit in me from John 15, 15. Where Jesus told his disciples, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit. And when I think about my life and what I want for my life this year, I want to bear much fruit to bring God glory. That's been my prayer for this year. I want to close today by looking at one more passage that gives us a similar pattern. One thing I never want to do when I teach is like come up with this idea and then go find a verse to like support my idea so that I can show you guys how smart I am. And so what I want to do instead, I always want to like tell the, tell the story that God's trying to tell. 
right? And use his scripture to tell his story. And so there's another passage where it lays out the same, I think the same pattern. If you turn to Psalm 1, uh, you can see this. Again, if you're following along with the 40-day challenge, this was Tuesday's passage. So Joshua 1 was Monday. This was Tuesday. Uh, So you've probably read it recently. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Be careful to obey, right? Who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. See, there's, there's taking in scripture, right? Your delight is in the law of the Lord. I'm taking it in. And who meditates, there's that word again, who meditates on it day and night, meditating, chewing on it, ruminating. And then he says this, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. And here's the promise, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. There's that word again. So here's the application for us today. Some of us are in a really dry season right now. It feels really barren. We look around, we see little fruit or no fruit, and why? I think for many of us, it's because we're not planted by the river. We're not drinking of the living water. So here's the thing about trees. Tree roots will absorb whatever's around them. And if it's good, clean water, if it's living water, then they're going to thrive and be strong and healthy and they'll bear much fruit and its leaves won't wither. But if it's contaminated, if the water's poison, the tree eventually withers and dies and it bears no fruit. And so while many of us are feeling withered and dry and we're bearing no fruit, for, for a lot of us, is because we're not soaking up the living water. Jeremiah 2, God tells Jeremiah, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So we might say that we don't have time to meditate on God's word, but we know when our show starts on that next, next season of our show starts on Netflix. We say we don't really like to read, but we know every sports story from every website that deals with our favorite team. We won't research the Greek meaning of a certain word that perplexes us in scripture, but we know every statistic from the running backs on our fantasy football team. Uh, we know who every celebrity is dating, what every singer wore to the Grammys, and we know the tryout dates for every travel baseball team in Hamilton County. But don't bother me about being in God's word. Ain't nobody got time for that. Guys, we're digging our own wells. We're digging cisterns that have no water. When right there next to us, on on the coffee table, on our nightstand, in, in our pocket, is living water. Just waiting to be soaked up, waiting to be absorbed into our hearts and into our lives and ready to bring us back to life so that we can bear much fruit. I don't know what's occupying your life right now, but if it's not Jesus, it's time to rethink your priorities. Take in the word, meditate on it, be careful to obey and taste the success and prosperity that God promises his people. Would you pray with me? God, I'm so thankful for a pattern that you show us this. Sometimes we can get so lost 
in our own world or thinking about here's what we think we need to do. And so to give us that pattern of taking in scripture, meditating on it, being careful to obey it, and that promise of prosperity and success, God, that's what I want. And I pray for our church that that's what we would want, that that's what we'd be hungry for, God, that, that whatever our minds and our hearts are turned toward right now and whatever we're lusting after and chasing after and pursuing, God, if it's not you, it's not, if it's not your son, Jesus, Lord, turn us away from that. I pray that we would make Jesus the one thing in our lives, that for, for us personally, for each of us individually and for our church, that people will look at our lives and say, I don't know much about that guy or that lady, but I can tell that they're pursuing Jesus. Lord, help us to, to fill in our broken cisterns and replace them with the living water. We ask these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen.